several different places in the scripture as we uh, contemplate the subject of dealing uh, dealing with with doubts and dealing with doubting who God is and what God's doing for us and and what God has done for us and I'll begin I think we all know this but our our adversary our enemy Satan is is the greatest doubt caster there's ever been in the history of the world he um in the very beginning of the Bible, he begins to cast doubt. He says, did God really say that? He begins to cast doubt on, on, on Eve, through Adam and Eve. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation of Christ, he comes to Christ. He says, if you be the Son of God, do this or do that. He begins to cast doubt, uh, trying to cast doubt, which he could not cast doubt into the mind of the Son of God, but he's trying, he's attempting to. Even though God, even though Satan understands that he's been defeated he's he's not against trying and trying and trying and trying again he doesn't give up uh, in in Luke chapter 22 it says the Lord looked to, to Simon or to Peter and said Simon Simon behold Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat so he's saying that that Satan is desiring to take control of Peter to get him in such a situation that he has control over him he says, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And so I think we can learn from the attempt, from the, the prayer of Christ for Peter that his faith fell not and that when he's converted he would strengthen his, his brethren. We can see that the attempt to have Satan, that he may control Satan, was to cast doubt or to control Simon. Satan's uh, plan to control Simon uh, was to make him doubt that his faith would fail, that his faith would become weak and his doubt would grow. Do we see that? And he says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And Satan's really good at, at doing this, at casting doubt to the people of God. He'll cast doubt on the sufficiency of Christ's atonement. He cast doubt uh, in the minds of many of God's children or whether or not they could be children of God or are children of God. Uh, um, all that he's doing is trying to mislead you really about who God is and what God is doing for you and has done for you in this life. And I don't know if any of you have, I do know, matter of fact, I do know, everyone in this room today has had to deal with doubts when it comes to God. And there are some things that I have my doubts about that are good. Um, I doubt I'll go home and fly around the house tonight. That's not going to happen, right? Um, you know, God's given us a, a working brain where we can, uh, we can certainly, there, there are many things that I doubt in this life are going to happen, uh, but why well, I want to focus today on doubting God, because there's a big difference between doubting my abilities and doubting God's abilities. And in Mark chapter 9, I want to start there today, there's a, there's a crowd of people, and it says in verse 17 of Mark chapter 9, that out of the multitude, um, that one out of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whithersoever he takes him, he tears him, and he foams, and he gnashes his teeth, and he pines away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And Jesus answers him and says, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. 
And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, and, and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. That's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because I often find myself in that same situation. Lord, I believe, but I'm dealing with a lot of unbelief in my life. Some of y'all are shaking your head that you understand that. Lord, I believe you're who you say you are. Lord, I believe you've done what you said you're going to do. Lord, I believe you're sustaining me and you're helping me, but there's still a lot of doubt in my mind. And that's where that father is. He says, Lord, I believe, but I need help with all the unbelief that I have in my mind. And so I can see from your reaction today that many of you have faced the same thing and you're not alone. You know, when the Lord comes to Abraham and to Sarah and they say, you're going to have a child, uh, the first thing Sarah does, she begins to laugh. She had some doubts, right? When, when he's going to make a great nation out of Abraham, he's going to protect Abraham. And Abraham would come into situations where he would lie about who Sarah was. He had some doubts in his mind. Even the, the, the greatest example of faith, Abraham, he's the, he's the prime example of faith. We see that even Abraham had some doubts. Uh, so I want to look at, at Exodus chapter 3. When Moses is, is keeping the flock of Jethro, and, and they're, they're, God appears to him, in a burning bush. There is a bush that is on fire, but it is not consumed. And God tells Moses uh, what he has planned for him, that he's going to go back and he's going to be the one uh, that, that, that leads out these children of Israel out of the bondage that they have been in for so long. And, and, and Moses humbly says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and, and bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now that's not doubting. That's that's a humble spirit, I believe, that Moses is saying, who, who am I that you would do this? Uh, but God says, this is what I have planned uh, for you. And, and, and you're gonna, the, the children of Israel are going to come out. They're going to have favor with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are going to hand over their jewels and their, their gold and their valuables unto them. And in, verse, and in chapter 4, it says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And so in response to everything that God has told Moses, Moses, he, he begins to doubt right off the bat, right? He says, no, there's no way that these people are going to believe me. I believe Moses had some insight into his, his kindred, but he had some insight into, uh, into our human uh, weakness or into humanity and what we're like. And he says, there's no way that if I go to these people and say, here's what God has told me, they're not going to believe me. He begins to doubt because he, he believes and he knows that at some point those that he's called to lead are going to doubt. And if y'all ever experienced this, that when you're around people who are full of faith and belief, that it strengthens your faith. But if you're ever around people who are doubters and, and maybe they don't 
they don't rely on God or maybe they are weak in their faith, that what happens to your faith? It begins to weaken, right? And so he's looking, I'm going to be around all these people, and he just assumes that they're not going to have strong faith, and he says there's no way that this will happen. And so there, there are many signs, there are some signs that are given to Moses. There's the rod that turns into a serpent, and he says, I'll give you this sign. And he puts his hand into his bosom, and, and the leprosy comes upon it, and then it goes away, and he gives it all these signs that God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you these signs that you can go to them that they will know. See, God knew that they were probably going to doubt, right? He said, I'm going to give you some miraculous signs. And anytime we see sign gifts in the Bible, it's, it's really a way, and there's, just a, there's only a few times that we see these great miracles throughout the Bible, and that's a way that God is letting people know that this is authentic, right? And so he gives these sign gifts unto Moses. And then in verse 10, I love this, it says, he says, I'm going to give you all these signs. And so Moses is now, now the excuse that Moses had and the doubts that Moses had have kind of been vanquished away by God. And so in verse 10, he says, Moses says unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, <laughs> neither heretofore, no sense thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. God has, God has called Moses from keeping these, uh, the flock of Jethro, and he says, uh, he says, here's what I've called you to do. And, and so he has his first doubt. And when you have doubts, you come up with excuses, right? Anybody ever experienced that? You come up with excuse after excuse why I can't do these things. I know I've struggled throughout, I guess, all my life that if, if, if I don't understand what I'm going into, uh, if, I don't, if, if I don't know what's going to happen, <laughs> if I have some insecurities or doubts about what I'm getting into, a lot of times I just don't do it. <laughs> I can come up with an excuse not to do it or not to go into that situation. And that's what doubt does. Doubt brings fear. And so Moses he had this fear that they're not going to believe me. And God says, no, I'm going to give you uh, some signs where they will believe you. So that, that, that doubt uh, is no longer valid. And then he says, God, I, I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to talk to these people. He comes up with another excuse. Do you see that? There's no way. He's, he's just The doubt is flowing out of Moses. And so finally, uh, God has a, a plan for that. He says, I'm going to bring Aaron unto you, and Aaron will be your spokesman. You'll tell him what to say, and then he'll say it. And, and I've often wondered on what blessings that Moses missed out uh, in that, but that's not, we, we make a look at that at another day. But nevertheless, he knows, uh, he has all these doubts, but God is still saying, no, I've called you to do these things. And God's overruling these doubts, and he's, he's working out these doubts. But, but the point I wanted to look at today is that, is that Moses had his doubts. And you know, the people actually believe Moses, and they, they are strong in faith, if you go on and read this. And and we know that they uh, they were brought out with a with with the outstretched arm of God, and and there were many blessings on the people uh, at that time. But it didn't take long for the children of Israel to have their doubts again. Did they? Right after they come out, they start murmuring, and they said, "Did, did God bring us out of Egypt just to kill us here in the wilderness?" <laughs> and then it wasn't long that that Moses goes up to hear from God, and they say, "Where is this Moses?" Let's, all those blessings that God gave us, those, those earrings and those jewels and all those things that He told us He was going to give it, bring it all over here and let's make us a God. They begin to doubt. And, and some of us, we say, how could they do that? That's just a picture of you and me in Scripture. We, would do, the, we do the exact same things in our lives. We say, where is God? So we make our own gods out of the, out of the, out of the things that the world sees as valuable we make those things our God 
and we replace them with the one true and living God. That's what they've done here in Exodus. And so Moses had his doubts. I want to look at Judges chapter 6. We look at Gideon and, and, and the Midianites had taken over Israel. And, and we even read in chapter 2 that they had that the, the children of Israel had to make dens in, in the mountains and the caves and in the strongholds because they were under persecution by this army that had invaded them. And they'd, they'd go to plant their crops and the Midianites would come in and they would destroy their crops. So they're, having, they're being persecuted. They have no food. Uh, they're just in a really bad spot. And in verse 11, it says, There came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak tree, uh, which was in Ophrah, and pertained unto Joash. Uh, and, and it gets to, to Gideon, who was threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. I kind of like I kind of like Gideon. He was he he was he was he was hiding away uh, from the invading army uh, to to take care of his family, to take care of his friends. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and appears to him, and he says unto Midian. Now the angel of the Lord comes comes to him or, or comes to Gideon, and he says, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." Now if anything might strengthen my faith. I joked last week about compliments, and some of y'all gave me some compliments, and I appreciate that. But if anything was to strengthen my faith to, to preach the gospel, if an angel appeared to me this week and said, you mighty preacher, <laughs> I'm telling you next week I would come in my best suit and I'd be ready. Well, let's say I was studying and, and, and the doors just swing open and an angel walks in and says, I heard you last week. That was wonderful. <laughs> Boy, I think my, my faith would be strengthened. Well, here comes an angel. He says, you mighty man of valor. And, and the first thing Gideon says is, this is a word that he uses at least three times, if. If, if, if. And the first thing he says, Gideon says unto this, this angel, he says, oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why then is all this befallen us? And where be all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know, that's what, a, what, a, what a, so many great lessons in that. The, the way that he responds to this angel, he says, If the Lord be with us, where is he? You know, you could look out in the world today and see all the madness that's going on and says, If the Lord's with us, where is he? Right? You can look at the church. I hear stories of the church and they'll say they, they would have, uh, you know, we'd have to rent the civic center and there'd be police directing traffic and there'd be thousands of people that would come to this meeting or that meeting. That's a hundred years ago. And now we can't fill up a church. And you say, where's the Lord with us? Well, see, the Lord was still with Gideon when the Midianites were attacking them and oppressing them and things were low. The Lord was still with them. He didn't have the proper attitude, did he? And see, he's in a low. And a lot of times when we get in a spiritual low, we get in a low point, we say, where is God? And we begin to doubt. And so, so the, the, the angel of the Lord says, I love this. He says, Gideon, you're going to be the one that gets us out of that. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times, in, maybe that's what, maybe your family's in a spiritual low or yourself, maybe just your walk with Christ is in a spiritual low. And you say, who's going to help us? Well, a lot of times God may be saying, you're the one I'm calling to actually help. And so he says, I want you to tear down uh, the altar to Baal that your father 
had erected. And, and Gideon does it, and, and, and he's, uh, God's with him, there's no doubt. And God's told him, I'm going to send you out to, to battle. And, 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 and you would think after, after he had the courage to, to tear down the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, the false god or the, what they had erected to the false god, uh, you would think he would have so much courage to just say, yes, God, I'll do it. This angel has appeared to him and, 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 he's, and he's, he's, he's ready. And he says, all right, God, if. <laughs> this is verse 36. He says, if you will save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, he said, I'll put out a fleece of wool. And if the dew be on the fleece and it be dry upon the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, if thou hast said it. And it was so. <laughs> and he rose up early on the morrow. So, now think about this. The angel of the Lord has come to him and said, you're a man of valor, and here's the plans that I have for you. And tear down this altar, and he does it. And he says, then you're going to go out, and, and you're going to lead uh, against the, you're going to lead the army against these Midianites. And he still says, well, just one more thing. If, if you'll just do this, have any of us ever made vows to God, if you'll just do this, if you'll just show me this? Um, and God's, God's so good that He does it for him. Now, I don't know that that's common to all of us. I'm, I am not in any way. See, this was, a, this was a great mature man of valor who had some immature characteristics of his faith. And he says, he says I'm going to throw this fleece out, and if you'll do this, I'll know that it's God. Now, God may not, you may say that, to God and he may not answer you. He probably won't. I don't I don't think he would. But he answers Gideon. And that wasn't enough. He, he he rises up early the next day, he thrusts the fleece together, he wrings the dew out of the fleece into a bowl of water, and then he says to God, "Let not thine anger be hot against me. I will speak this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry upon the fleece." And upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. God was very good to Gideon. And of course, Gideon's army will be, uh, he, he will make them much smaller, and they will go on to, to lead the children of Israel. But we see this great leader, this great judge, who was going to lead, who God had called to lead his people dealt with all kinds of doubts. And maybe you're being called to lead your family uh, or you're being called to lead in the workplace or in the school or wherever it may be and you're facing doubts. Well, here are great men and women that both faced doubts themselves. Um, here's, here's a great one. We've looked at the Old Testament. Now in John chapter 20, Jesus has reappeared after His resurrection to many of his disciples, but Thomas was not there. And it says in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said unto Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. 
Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. Don't you love how merciful Jesus was to Thomas? <laughs> I've appeared to all your friends. But he still wouldn't believe. And he shows up again. He says, here, reach out and touch me. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Here's one of the Beatitudes of the Bible. It says, if you want to be happy in this life, don't be like that doubting Thomas. Don't be like Gideon. God, will you give me a sign? 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 In childlike faith, Christ is saying, those who just believe on me, those are the ones who are actually happy. Now we looked last week at Matthew chapter 28 and the commission that the Lord is giving uh, to His disciples. And it says there were 11 disciples that went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when He saw them, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. That's just three extra words that the Holy Spirit puts into that verse in verse 17. And it's always baffled me that it's there because you wouldn't expect those three words to be there when these 11 disciples are now with Jesus in this mountain and they're worshiping Him. And these are men who are going to go out. And of these men, it's going to be said, I believe in Acts chapter 17, that these of these men and of their disciples of their converts, these are the men that have turned the world upside down. And he's about to commission 11 men to go out and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth and to convert other people who will go out and preach the gospel. And you and I are here today gathered around an open Bible and singing hymns in praise to God because these 11 men did what God told them to do. That's the reason we're here today. Because they went out and did what God told them to do. And we're the beneficiaries of their great faith. But here, there are 11 men and they're worshiping God, but some of them are still doubting. You know, if, if I was God, I'd have found 11 people. I mean, I don't say this irreverently, but you would think I could find 11 people who have no doubts about them. Those are the men. I mean, this isn't like you're calling in the, the A squad, right? You would think, he would say, I've got 11 men who have no doubts whatsoever about them. Well, here's the truth. God couldn't find 11 men who didn't have some doubts. <laughs> because every man who's ever lived on this earth save Jesus Christ has had doubts about who God is, about what God has done for them, and what God is doing for them. So He has these 11 men and some of them are doubting. And Jesus comes and speaks to them and says, All power is given to Me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, at all times and in all circumstances, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And there has never been a time and there never will be a time when the Lord Jesus is not with His people even unto the end of the world. And so if you get nothing else out of these Scriptures that we've looked at, I want you to understand this lesson is that God uses the doubter 
in miraculous ways. If you struggle with that, if you're struggling with doubt, when you begin to struggle with doubt, many times Satan will come in and whisper to you, see, God, there's no way God could use you. Well, Sarah, Abraham, Moses, and Gideon are all listed in that hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, but they all had their doubts. Thomas and the other ten went out and changed the world, but they all had their doubts. God uses the doubters. Now last week we looked at a man named John the Baptist. And I enjoyed, I enjoyed looking at that last week. But as we look, I want to I spend the rest of our time kind of looking at John. And we can learn many things that even the greatest of men doubt, as we've already seen. But I think we can see God's remedy for doubt. And in Luke chapter 1, in verse 13, when this, the angel has come to Zacharias, that would be John's father, he gives this description of who John is. He says, The angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he, this is John the Baptist, he shall be great, in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the Father to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." He says, your son is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. Not even great in the sight of men. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord and filled with the Holy Ghost and be the forerunner for the Son of God. And John lived out a humble life, as we saw last week, all because he wanted to promote the Christ and His arrival. Um, he, he, he baptized publicly. You know, we, we can just read that and think, uh, well, that's what he did. But it took a lot of courage for John to step out of the wilderness and begin to, to preach the Gospel and begin to say the Christ is here. Repent and be baptized. It takes a lot of courage to look at people who are probably doing things they shouldn't do and say, repent of those things and be baptized because the Savior is coming. The Savior is here. Uh, he, he pointed. You remember we looked at this last week in John chapter three and verse thirty. Even when when his disciples begin to diminish and Christ begin to to grow, he said, "No, I want to decrease so that He can increase." He had the right attitude for a follower of Jesus Christ. He even we talked about this as well. He criticized leaders for their behavior so much so that they put him in jail, and that would ultimately lead to his death because he would not recant the ways. And, and the, the, the morality and the standards of God. That's the man that we're talking about. But I want to go with you to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, um, it, it, it ends after Christ has been preaching. And there... Um, He enters into Capernaum in verse 1, and there's a centurion whose servant was, it says, was dear unto him, and he was sick, and he was ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto the elders of the Jews, beseeching him 
that he would come and heal his servants. Verse 4 says, When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy of whom he should do this, for he loves our, sin, our nation and he has built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them. And when he was now far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou should enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. I love that. Uh, that, that they send unto Jesus saying, this is one who's worthy. He's done all these great things. And then he sends to Jesus says, I'm not even worthy that you would come into my house. He had the proper attitude, didn't he? He says, but just say a word, verse 7, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having me soldiers, and I say unto one, go, and he goes, and unto another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does that, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled, and he turned them about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now that is a tremendous statement because I believe that would that would that would include those doubting disciples that he talked to on that mountain that day in Matthew 28. He says, I've never seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. That's the kind of faith we want in God, right? And they were sent, they returned to the house, they found the servant whole that had been sick. And then as he, he continues on his way, they come into a city, and there's there's a uh, there's a young man that has died, and they're weeping. And he comes to the casket, and, and in verse 14 he says, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And he delivered him to his mother, and there came great fear on all. And verse 16 says, And they glorified God, saying that a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all these things and so jesus has come to the casket and he says to this son he says he says arise and he comes back from the dead and they do what we should all do uh when when we when we can see how great christ is and when christ has has has, has worked miracles in our lives or has blessed us and he has for all of us they glorify him and they talk about him and his fame goes out and they're on a spiritual high here's 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 a group of people from the centurion to this mother to the group who has seen what Jesus has done, they are on a spiritual high. And we've talked, we've talked about that earlier. When, when things are going good, it's a lot easier to be on that spiritual high. When you've got to have the police directing the traffic and you've got to rent the civic center to have the church meeting, it's probably a little easier to be on that spiritual high. When things are going good for your family, when things are going good for your job, when things are going good uh, in your nation, Maybe it's a little bit easier to be on that spiritual high. And we should be, right? That's how we should react to the blessings of God. We should glorify God and spread uh, what He's doing for us. And so that's what we see here. But John's situation is a little bit different at this point. This great man who was the forerunner of Jesus Christ, Matthew tells us in, in, in Matthew chapter 11, which is a corresponding account of this same, uh, these same verses, tells us that he was in prison. So while these people are on a spiritual high, he's on a spiritual low. And I want to tell you this, child of God, there's going to be times when your fellow disciples, your fellow church members, your fellow friends, your fellow family members may be on a spiritual high 
And you may be on a very low spiritual low. And there's going to be times you're on a high and they're on a low. That's just the way it works. And here's what we see. John the Baptist is in a spiritual low. And John calls unto him two of his disciples and he sent them to Jesus with this question. This man who stood and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Y'all remember that? Which takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus walked, and he says, I'm not even worthy to unloose your shoe. But Jesus says unto him, No, you're going to baptize me. And he does it. This one who had grown up, who had leapt in his mother's womb when the Savior appeared is now in prison. And he says, you two, go find Jesus and ask Him this. Are you the one that should come? Or are we supposed to look for another? When the men were come, listen, child of God, if you deal with doubts, you're not alone. (laughs) When the men were come unto Him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto you, saying, are you he that should come? Or look we for another. In that same hour, Jesus cured many of their infirmities and their plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, He gave sight. And Jesus answering said unto them, so He turns to these two disciples that John had sent to ask Jesus, are you the Christ or are we supposed to look for another? And He turns to them and it's it, it, it's maybe irreverent to say, but if that was me, I would I would have I would have to say, John, are you serious? We grew up together. You knew who you've known who I was since you were born. You baptized me. You 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 made that great confession that you wanted to decrease so that others could see me. Are you serious at this point? But Jesus turns unto them. And he says, go your way and tell John. And and I love what it says uh, in the account in Matthew. He says, I want you to go and tell John again. It adds that word. I want you to go and tell John again. Seems like John may have had his doubts before, right? And I love that he didn't say, I want you to go and tell John I've had enough of his doubting. (laughs) I'm done with him. He says, no, I want you to go and tell him one more time. And child of God, if you doubt, God's not going to give up on you either. He says, I want you to go and tell him one more time what things you have seen and heard. How that the blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. He says, I want you to go back and and tell them what you've seen and what you've heard. To the poor, the Gospel is preached. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as John sends his disciples to ask Christ this question, 
I believe we see the answer or the remedy to our doubts as Christ points these disciples to what they've seen and heard. And He says, I want you to go tell John what you have seen and heard, and it is what God is doing in the lives of His people, who His people are, and the Gospel, what God has done for them. And so often when we deal with doubts in our lives about who God is, about what God is doing for us, and about what God has done for us, is probably because we're not seeing and hearing those things. The, the, the remedy for a spirit of doubt are these things. He says, you need to go tell Him what you've seen. They were seeing the miracles that only the Messiah could perform. Right? That were prophesied in Isaiah and some of the other prophets. He said, I want you to go tell Him about these miracles. And so, I ask myself and you today, are we, look, are we looking for God in our lives? Because many of the times when I doubt what God's done for me, what God's doing for me, where God is, it's because I've simply lost focus on God and I'm focusing on other things. You say, I don't see the blind uh, receiving their sight or the lame walking or the lepers cleansed. Well, I can tell you God's still in the business of healing the sick. He's still in the miracle business and maybe He's not pouring it out like He was here. But the fact that, that many of us are here today is a miracle, is it not? I've seen marriages healed. I've seen relationships restored. I have seen so many. When I look for them, I see them every day. When I look for it, right? He says, go back and tell them what you've seen. And then, I believe He tells them, there's a, there's a part in here that, that maybe we sometimes miss. You need to understand who you are to understand who God is. And He says to them, the poor. To the poor, the Gospel is preached. I wrote the definition of that down. That is helpless, powerless, to a, powerless to accomplish an end. And child of God, when it comes to the things that we need in life, in this life, and the things that we need to live with Him forever, we are helpless and unable to accomplish any of that. We are poor. But He says to the poor, the Gospel is preached unto them. And so He says, I want you to go tell John one more time what you've seen and what you hear. And often, when we begin to doubt, it's because we've quit looking for God and we've drifted away from really hearing the Gospel. Now, number one, we can, we can neglect the Gospel and be present at church, right? We can go through the motions. But the scariest thing, and you've seen it over and over, is when people neglect the gathering of the saints and the preaching of His Word, and it's not long until they're gone forever. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He wanted their faith to fail. And the remedy to strengthening our faith is to be looking 
for God and to be engaged in His Gospel. And we don't do that anywhere else but in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Every Sunday. Why is it important to be in church? Every Sunday you need to be re-strengthened through the preaching of God's Word. You know, he told Thomas that the blessed, the real, the real people who will be real happy are the ones who believe on him, but have never seen what Thomas has seen. And I know in my life I have been engaged in hearing the preaching of the gospel. Just a man with an open book preaching about Jesus. I can't see his wounds, I can't feel his side, but I feel him so near to me that there that any doubt any unbelief that I may have for a little while is driven out. And I feel so close to Him. And that is the only cure for your doubts and your lack of faith is to on a weekly basis be in the Word and be in the Gospel and be hearing the Gospel and believing the Gospel because without that, you will drift away and you'll be locked in a prison somewhere like John wondering, is this really the hope of Israel or should we look for another? And then he says, and blessed is he. Here's another beatitude from Christ. He said, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And he's saying there that ultimate happiness is, is found in a life of trust in God even when it doesn't make sense. Even, even when the circumstances don't look good. Even when the crowds are low and the things aren't going like you would want them to. He says ultimate happiness in this life is found in those who trust Him in the good times and in the bad. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. I, I pray that the Lord would strengthen us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this day and for the many blessings of this life. And we know that we're in a room full of people who doubt Your goodness and doubt Your, your love for us and doubt Your abilities from time to time because we're a people who believe but are yet full of unbelief. And we pray, Lord, that You would drive that out through the power of Your Spirit, through the preaching of Your Word, through the fellowship of Your saints, that we would be strengthened. And that there would that, 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 in, that in times that we're low, we praise You that You've given us a people who would be on a spiritual high and that they, they could comfort us who were low and that we could return that favor when things aren't so bad for us. We could strengthen the ones who are going through a time of weakness. Uh, we, we praise You for who You are, for what You've done for us, and may, you always, uh, may, may we always look to that promise that You've promised to always be with us. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, we're going to sing a hymn and give an opportunity if you'd like to unite with this church and follow Jesus Christ in baptism. Um, you can come forward and let your desire be known. So we stand and sing uh, number 170. Oh, we can work.